You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Doing the uh, pre-podcast warm-up, yeah. I see. Yep. The pre-podcast stretch. Very specific stretch, the very specific yawn. Yeah. That's what I do. That's what you do before you get ready to record. And sitting on the stool with the mic in front of your face. Or in the zone. It is. It's its own little ritual thing, you know? And I'm all about rituals and, yeah. you know. I uh, know that. I know that about Little, you. um, what's the, routines. Okay. Routines. The rituals other rituals and routines. Rituals, neat. it does. It could have, like, I'm, slightly cultish connotations <laughs> if you're not careful, you I know? But why. I mean it in a good way, okay. you know? I mean it in the thing, you okay. know? Okay. The way. Yeah. With the stuff. Mm-hmm. The good. We talk about, like, our morning routines or, or coffee making. Yes. Or even even prayer practices. Yes. Yes. Those rituals sometimes. Those things. Yeah. 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 Where's so, all this going? Nowhere in particular. Oh, okay. It's it's going down a, a dead-end <laughs> rhetorical street. I just was trying to find uh, a, uh, you know, we mm. do the opening banter, and I'm like, I got to find something that we yeah. haven't talked about yet mm. on this episode, because apparently I also have the tendency to repeat myself, as <laughs> I've also noted before. I was going to say, like, this could... will be a repeat of a repeat mentioning <laughs> we, that we I... We talk about a theological bar joke or a Star Wars quote, and I'm sure yes, multiple, no one will remember that Yes, multiple <laughs> times. I mean, like, what the heck are these guys doing? They got to start keeping a spreadsheet of, yeah. you know, how they how they open the thing. You so know, they... There are times I will genuinely think of, like, man, I should start a podcast with that comment. Like, like that would be a good conversation starter for us. And then I forget it. <laughs> it doesn't survive the, the early morning wake up. Like, I, I got to think about what I'm doing. And I'm like, where did all those free form thoughts go? I don't know. They're, they, they don't go into here some, anymore. Yeah, they're gone. They're in the like, oh, like the movie. Oh, no. What is that movie called? Inside Out. Yeah. Pixar movie. Inside Out. All right. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh, no. The last animated movie I saw that was from a studio like that was probably Coco, which I love. Coco is a great movie, and it is from Pixar. That is a Pixar yeah, film. Yeah, I like that's one of my faves. Inside Out is I think you would you would unironically enjoy it. Okay. So without having seen it, I will not spoil it because okay. there is there is an incredibly moving yeah. part of it seems known for its emotional the movie. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's literally like a movie about like emotions, about emotions told in a very I think cool way. But there's an incredibly moving part where I've seen the movie probably like four or five times because Abigail has right. like watched and I blubber at this scene every time. Is so she, I'm not going to spoil is she that moved scene. By this, Abigail. Yeah. No, she doesn't. She doesn't even understand what's happening. <laughs> Um, but point being, you know, it's like the inside of a child's mind and there's this place where all these memories go. It's like a garbage dump basically of memories. But then like the memories, like, yeah, like the memories like disappear. Like they just, they're gone forever. Yeah. And that's what happens. I think to the, uh, the ideas that, you know, Oh yeah, yeah, that's where I was going with that. I had to explain because I'm like, Oh, Ethan hasn't seen it. So I have to, you know, give the backstory. That makes sense. So, you know, those who have seen it will know what I'm talking about and Mm. they'll probably start crying as they, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so anyway yeah but you know what else you know what else is kind of whisked um, away to the theological garbage dump (laughs) discarded by people that That was good you saved that i was like i need to go somewhere (laughs) this and i can't i can't get there but uh yeah the uh Apocrypha, Whoa, to answer your question. Yeah, fun. yeah, because a um a topic that has come up in a few discussions I've had recently has to do with why we Protestants don't consider the Apocrypha to be canonical, divinely inspired scripture. This is like some interesting conversations. Yeah, yeah. This obviously sets us apart from our Catholic and Orthodox cousins who do, in fact, include the Apocrypha mm. in their canons. Like, if you look up a Catholic Bible, yeah. the Apocryphal books will be in their Bible. Very fun, very fun. Yeah. Skyrim players, because I have to take it here. <laughs> 
It's my job. Um, they will know the term apocrypha as a plane of existence, which is characterized by like these endless twisting paths filled with books of, of yeah, it's very Lovecraftian now. Okay, just picture this, but creepy. Um, so it's like these these tomes full of lost and forbidden knowledge, which is ironic. <laughs> Like, right? like someone on the development team was like, grew up in the Catholic church yes, and like, I they're like, so oh, I gotta put this like yeah. subtle reference in here. So, yeah. so for those who are curious, you know, perhaps you didn't grow up in the Catholic church or maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> or probably no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> Both ends. You're like, these two guys are crazy. <laughs> what is this podcast? Oh, the Apocrypha, which just means hidden more or less, is a collection of books that were mostly written in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. So the Roman Catholic Church, by the by, prefers the term deuterocanon. Why would you prefer that? It's so <laughs> less cool. Well, it is, but I probably, I actually don't know. I'm only guessing this answer. It's probably because like you have the term apocrypha mm. has connotations of, oh yeah, it's like this weird, you know, kind of hidden stuff. So This like, is why they're like, we got to rename UFOs. We can't <laughs> use the term UFO anymore. It's now like dumb, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, probably just like yeah. that. Pope's okay. like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they call it the Deuterocanon, and these would include books like Tobit, Judith, 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, Baruch, and additions to Esther and Daniel, okay? Now, the view of the Eastern Orthodox Church is a little more complex, and uh, I just really don't even want to, I can't even, I, can't even <laughs> I don't have time to get into that. So, But suffice to say, they also include books from the Apocrypha mm. in their canon. Okay? There's some great names in there, by the yeah. way. I'd be lying to say I wasn't intrigued. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. First apocryphal book I ever read was called Bell and the Dragon. Hello. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really something. Now, someone may be wondering, why do we care about this? Right? Okay. I mean, yeah. It's like mm. a apocryphal weird Weird Catholic. interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, like maybe you have, you know, Catholic family member. Maybe you came out of the Catholic church. So I think probably the most obvious reason we would care about this, uh, admittedly, perhaps arcane topic, mm. is because scripture and our understanding of its content and its canon matters yeah. to us. Right? I mean, we're talking about whether or not certain words are actually the words of God himself. So that matters. Kind um, of big deal, yeah. Yeah, and so thus is just one instance. If if you take the Apocrypha as divinely inspired scripture, the real is you're going to get some weird doctrines that other scriptures, like the agreed upon canon of the Old Testament and New mm. Testament, all really pretty plainly refute, yeah. okay? And so, I mean, like we're talking like something like purgatory, okay? Yeah, like yeah. you have to really twist some very otherwise clear references in like Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you have to twist it to like say like, well, I know it really does sound like he's talking about this, but he's actually not at all. Um, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It does make a lot of sense to me because like where would we be if we took the sequels as serious Star Wars canon? <laughs> you know? Because you have... You have weird plot lines that other episodes plainly refute. I just, I feel like it really lines up here. It is, it's the Apocrypha from a galaxy far, far away. Do you hear that, J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson? Do you fun, hear that? Fun, but not canon. <laughs> Uh, that's good. So all that said, that's actually a great kind of analogy. <laughs> um, so so we as Protestants do, in fact, have good reasons for not including the Apocrypha in our canon. Okay. Before we get that far, okay, before we discuss those reasons, I do think we, we do have to first acknowledge the rather hairy and unsettling fact that the early church fathers 
we're simply not united on this front, actually. What? Yeah. That is, I didn't expect to hear that. Yeah, I truly didn't either. Because um, <laughs> it wasn't like anyone had like explicitly taught me this, but I just kind of grew up, as you do, you just kind of carry these like background assumptions. Like, yeah. oh, the Apocrypha, it was just kind of the thing that's always been anathema to the real church. Yeah, right. You know, and only the rotten Catholics decided <laughs> to make it canon, you know, to like add a spite toward Luther and the Reformation. You oh, know what I mean? Amazing. So like, we'd understand this as like those childhood games you'd play in your backyard where like an outwitted child child changes the rules at the last minute so he doesn't lose the game right right, right. and that's how we picture the catholic church I'm like oh well, luther run, but well no we're gonna make the apocrypha uh, canon and therefore you know, yeah you know what i mean so um turns out <laughs> that is a uh, pedantic understanding of how the church has actually approached this canonical issue now, I will say this. It is true that the Roman Catholic Church formally recognized the canonicity of the Apocrypha at the Council of Trent in 1546. Okay? That was when that first actually, like, really happened. Mm. You can look all that up. You can, you can read the Council of Trent's decrees. They're, on, they're online for free. That was part of their counter-reformation. So that's where I think some of that story comes from. Yeah. Like, let the, Luther had the Reformation, and the Catholic Church is like, like oh, we, we have to counter this somehow, exactly. because, like, the whole world is basically, like, in an uproar over this, and millions of people are leaving the church to go to Luther and the true church. <laughs> but, um, just kidding, I believe Catholics are saved, okay? But from the early centuries of the church... Our most esteemed fathers were divided on whether or not the Apocrypha should be viewed as sacred scripture, okay? And just so you know that I'm not making this up, okay? Mm. I have the collected works of the fathers, okay? Like I have this whole Nicene library is what it's called. It's beautiful. (laughs) And um, I just pulled up, I just looked into this issue and I pulled up two quotes from very eminent figures, probably two of the most, if not the most, Uh eminent figures in Nicene era church father history. So like we're talking like third, fourth century. So like, okay. After the Apostolic Fathers, okay? So here is no less an eminent figure than Augustine himself. Really? Okay? And he is saying the Apocrypha should be taken Dang. as Scripture. And I'll, I'll just read it here just so you get the feeling. Now, regarding the whole canon of Scripture, there are other books which seem to follow no regular order. He's just trying to describe, like, how these all connect. And are connected neither with the order of the preceding books nor with one another, such as Job, which is a book we have, but then... He says, Tobias and Esther and Judith and the two books of Maccabees and the two of Ezra. So like Mm. he's not, we have one Ezra in our Bibles. He's mentioning a second one, which last look more like a sequel to the continuous regular history, which terminates the books of Kings Chronicles. Next are the prophets. He mentions all those. And then he says, he mentions wisdom and Ecclesiasticus, different from Ecclesiastes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like all this stuff. And then he mentions a couple more. And so I won't read the rest of the quote, but you notice there, he lumped all those books together as scripture. Is he just kind of like playing it safe, like better to take it seriously than just cast it off? So I didn't read the rest of what he wrote there, so I don't want to pretend I have knowledge I don't have. Okay. But at this time, you think about, and this will come up in our discussion in a, in a few moments, but I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll insert a detail of it here. The issue of the canon, like recognizing which books were sacred scripture, that didn't really become an issue until you have a guy like Marcion coming along mm. who wanted to say the Old Testament needed to be done away with completely. He was oh, like, get rid of it. Wow. Because, you know, he was, well, he was confused about many things, obviously. But he was so like hyper, like Jesus is like the fulfillment of the law that like, forget it, like just get rid of the Old Testament. Mm. Like, well, no, you don't understand who Jesus is if you don't have the Old Testament. Testament, right? Jesus said, all the Old Testament is about me. So that's how issues got solved in the early church is like, you kind of had like, everyone was like, oh, we can kind of like agree on like issues of like Christ's divinity, for instance. And then it's when a heretic like Arius comes along who suggests something that's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Where did that idea come from that the church really has to refine? Let's codify what we believe. Right. 
because you didn't need to do that before then. And the canon is much the same way. Like you didn't need to cut, like everyone was really mostly, other than like some of the stuff from the Apocrypha, like everyone was kind of agreed like, oh, here are the books that are recognized. Mm. And we're going to get into that in a minute. So yeah, you probably do have Augustine doing something like that here. Like kind of like saying like, ah, mm. oh, like these books have been read before. Like they pertain to the history of God's people. So like we should probably include them. <laughs> okay. Now on the other hand, Augustine's contemporary, the great scholar and biblical translator Jerome, here's what he said. As then the church reads Judith, Tobit, and the book of Maccabees, those are apocryphal books, but does not admit them among the canonical scriptures. And then he talks about some books that he had translated for the edification of the church. Hmm. He says, so they read those books, Judith, Tobit, and the book of Maccabees, but does not admit them among the canonical scriptures, and they do not give authority to the doctrines of the church. So am I understanding this like opposed opinion to actually be something kind of like, sure, read it, but not a spiritual authority? Exactly. That's actually quite, well, I just thought the opposing opinion would be more militant. Yeah. Here's an interesting aside. I'm going to jump ahead in history, and then we'll make one more point here. But all of the confessional documents written during the Reformation, mm-hmm. okay? So, like, you're talking, like, Westminster Confession, 1689 Baptist, the Helvetic Confessions, all those major documents, 39 articles. I'm pretty sure I'm saying this correctly when I say all of them, because I, I did this recently for a research project. All of them say the same thing. They're like, the apocryphal books are not to be admitted as canonical scripture, but can be read like other human books, like yeah. for the edification. And, like, the book of the Maccabees tell the history of the Maccabean Revolt, during the time of um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the great Greek tyrant who defiled the temple. Mm. It's a very fascinating history, actually. Like, and that's just good to know. But we wouldn't consider it canonical scripture. Right. And in case we think that, you know, we have just a difference in pious opinions, you know, between <laughs> Jerome and Augustine, the Ecumenical Council of Carthage in 397 AD states in Canon 24, nothing is to be read in church besides the canonical scriptures. Ooh. And then they include the Apocrypha oh, in that list. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It took me for a loop there. Yeah. So you have this, as the philosophers are want to say, a messy mess, right? Like, who is, who is it that's got it right here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, some of this wasn't really truly codified until Marcion and men like him really forced the issue, okay? <laughs> yeah. But aside from that, I'm going to say that Protestants were the ones who got it right. Mm. And I don't think that's merely because I am, as you know, a convinced Protestant, okay? I don't think that's the only reason why. So let me just briefly outline four reasons for this view, okay? First off is that even in Christ's day, the Jews recognized only the books of the Masoretic text as canonical scripture. In other words, only the books in our current Old Testament, that's what we'd call the Masoretic text, only those were recognized as sacred scripture by the Jews, even though they, they at that time, they had access to those so-called deuterocanonical books. Okay. okay. They had access to them, but they did not consider those scripture. Okay. So no, no traditional history of this. No. The second is none of the New Testament authors ever quote the Apocrypha, nor do they ever allude to it with the phrase, it is written as they do with the other <laughs> scriptures. That's pretty compelling, actually. Yeah. That's a strong one. It is. Here's a third one. Okay, and this is a little more subtle and a little more difficult to catch, but I think it's 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 got a lot of loaded implications. So when Jesus referred to the blood of the prophets in Luke 11, mm. okay, so the prophets don't think of prophets just in the term of the writing prophets. So like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those guys. The prophets were generally considered like anyone who had like access to the counsels of God and spoke on behalf of God. So like Abraham would be considered a prophet in that sense. Okay. Okay. So he's talking about all those people who spoke authoritatively, had access to God's counsel, etc. When he talks about that in Luke 11, he mentions Abel and then ends with Zechariah. So it's like this kind of inclusio here, Abel mm-hmm. to Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Now, Abel, of course, is the first murder victim, okay? So he's the one who, you know, Cain murders him and God says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Yeah. You know, so it's like his, his blood speaks. And then in the Hebrew ordering of the Old Testament, okay, the Hebrew ordering is different than the English. So like our Hebrew Old Testament begins with Genesis and ends with Malachi. Theirs does not. 
not. If you look at the, the Hebrew ordering of the canon, it ends with Second Chronicles. Okay. And near the end of Second Chronicles, Zechariah is the last prophet to be killed. Okay. So to make that point clear, it sounds obtuse, this means that Jesus was basically taking the time frame between Genesis and Malachi or Second Chronicles, depending on how you order it. He was taking that and that alone is having authorized divine authority. Like only those people were the authorized divine spokesmen, thus making the Masoretic text canonical to the exclusion of the Apocrypha. Mm. If we're taking Jesus' inclusio there. Yeah. Well, given that it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to carry some weight. Yes, yes, it is. And the fourth one, I actually don't think this is the strongest because you could probably find easier ways to try to work around this. But the Apocrypha does contain some glaring errors. Like <laughs> it calls Nebuchadnezzar the king of Assyria, not Babylon. Mm. Like <laughs> It might be difficult to reinterpret that one. Yeah, like, it just you know, says Assyria. Yeah, yeah, like, that's, you know what I mean? That's just kind of, you know, out sure. there. Now, I don't want to present that as like, the ha-ha, like, got you all, you know, slam dunk, gotcha. But, right. I mean, you know, there are rebuttals one could offer to those four reasons. But all in all, it seems to me that taken together, the Protestants stand on the firmest canonical ground here. Mm. Given how the Jews and Jesus approached the canonicity of the Old Testament, and even though they had access to those books, how they didn't take them as authoritative, they didn't allude to them. In fact, here's an interesting tidbit. In a book like Jude, there is reference to what we might call New Testament, quote unquote, apocryphal literature. When he references the prophecy of Enoch, yeah. he says, and Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied, I saw 10,000 upon 10,000 of his holy ones coming to, you know, wreak vengeance upon ungodly people. Well, that's not, that's not in the Old Testament. You know what I mean? Like, Interesting. it's a reference to the book First Enoch, which is crazy. Right. Like, it's not, <laughs> that's not considered scripture either. But like, of all the references made, that's the one Jude makes. He's yeah. pulling from that to make a point. Of course Jude would. Yeah. And so that's like, I think that's just interesting. Like, oh yeah, like you could make reference to those or you could make reference to the weird one that like <laughs> everyone clearly understood is not. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like how much more than it's kind of like sense. one of those arguments. And I bring it like all this up to say more or less, like not only to be informed on it mm. as part of like the heritage of our faith, but also understand that um, sometimes I think people want to present this particular issue as like, uh, like I talked about at the beginning, like, oh, it was just, you know, the Catholic Church did this as like the change the rules last minute. Like there admittedly could have been some of that mm. because they did officially canonize it in 1546. Yeah. But it does have a more complicated history than that. Yeah. At least as far as the late church fathers go. One other thing worth noting is that in 2 Peter, for instance, Peter says there are things in Paul that are hard to understand. I freaking love that verse yeah. so much because it's true. Yeah, it is. It is. And he goes on to say, which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction. Mm. And here's the key phrase, as they do the other scriptures. That's interesting. So you notice what he's doing there? He's classifying Paul's letters among scripture. Yeah. Like already by the time of Peter, oh. he was writing that letter. There was recognition among the church. Oh, Paul's letters are inspired. That's interesting. That's um, so it. Wow. Yeah. And the apostolic fathers and the apostles all spoke with a unified front on these things. And by the time you get to Augustine Jerome, you're further removed from that. And the fathers aren't infallible. Right. So, mm. so anyway, yeah, That's there you have it. super interesting. I yeah. especially love that it's like there's some historic difference of opinion. And mm -hmm. like, well, we kind of think this. And yeah. um, I think like even within our own like Protestant faith tradition, um, there are things like we, we have split views on them. Yeah, absolutely. Really plenty of those things. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> we just, you know, like to the best of our abilities, try to figure out what seems to most rightly square with scripture yeah. and um, kind of move forward to, you know. Yeah. It's just interesting. It is. And um, it is funny because like you keep going down, like there are 
are always going to be. Yeah. And it's not an excuse. Like Paul writes in Ephesians 4, one day we will achieve to what he calls the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. Mm. You know, there won't be any more of this kind of like we're trying to figure out what this means and we have a split in opinion. Right. But it is interesting and funny to me, not ha-ha funny, sometimes ha-ha funny, I don't know, but you even go like within traditions that really agree, yeah. like they adhere, let's say, just for fun, the Anglican tradition. They all would fit under the broad banner of Anglicanism, but within Anglicanism, there would be differences of opinion on like, oh, how far back did the decrees of God go? <laughs> and like, what do they mean? Like, you know, you can keep splitting these things yeah. forever because you're talking about infinite God mm. with, you know, all this wisdom. And um, anyway, so we are human beings and we are by the spirit of God and the grace that he gives to us trying to figure it out. And you have to come to the scriptures, your final authority, and determine from there, you know, with the best exegesis you can, what it is saying, what it means, and how to obey it. And and thankfully, we are saved by grace and not by works, because otherwise, <laughs> that would be trouble. So anyway, there you have it. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you did enjoy this arcane discussion, or you know you have questions about it or other topics related, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can reach out to us on social media. And uh, if you want to leave us an unveiled review, <laughs> you know, don't want to conceal yeah, it, you don't want to hide that. it, you know, you can leave us an honest five-star review. That'd be great. And we would be thankful. Again, thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time.